Welcome to Horticulture Hangover on News Radio KLBJ. You're in the right place to get answers to all of your questions about your lawn, garden, trees, and more. Now, here's your host, Colleen Dieter. Good morning, everybody. Boy, oh boy, it is chilly out there today. There was ice on the windshield when I got up to go to the station this morning. I was very surprised. I think it got colder at my house, at least, than uh, was predicted by the weather persons. So, um, yeah, I'm expecting to see some wilted plants today uh night before last it got down to freezing uh light freeze i think and i noticed yesterday that my four o'clocks were all laying down but nothing else is showing any freeze damage yet so we'll see uh later today and tomorrow if anybody uh starts wilting besides the uh the four o'clock and y'all that's all normal um our native perennials it's normal for them to die back in the winter where the tops of the plants die but they will re-emerge from their roots in the spring so it's just a matter of knowing what plants you have knowing the names of the plants that you have and understanding if what they're going through is normal or not for our winters because we have a lot of plants that are evergreen that shouldn't lose their leaves in the winter uh, or you know the tops of the plants shouldn't die in the winter but there's plenty of plants in our landscapes that uh, naturally would die the tops of the plants would die in the winter and then they re-emerge from the ground in the spring and those are called perennials um so that's stuff like four o'clocks like i mentioned um lantanas uh, all the henry dolberg sage mealy blue sage uh, indigo spires mexican bush sage copper canyon daisies there's tons of them so don't be alarmed. It's not anything you did wrong. Uh, a lot of people think, oh, all my plants died in the cold, but uh, many of them will grow back in the spring. And that's the natural way of things in the wintertime. So I'm Colleen Dieter, and I'm a landscape consultant at atxgardens.com. And y'all can text or call me with your gardening questions, 512-836-0590. And let me see here. Nope, no texts or anything yet. So y'all get on the horn, 512-836-0590. Um, Again, I'm Colleen Dieter. I'm a landscape consultant at atxgardens.com. That's ATX as in Austin, Texas. Now, last week I got so many texts. Um, somebody texted in and I didn't have time to answer their question. Um, 
they were asking about pruning a pinky rose. And uh, Pinky's a climber. So if you're listening, I hope you're, you tuned in again because I didn't have time to get to your text message last week. Um, the climbing roses are different from the shrub roses, y'all. So if y'all have roses, it is almost rose pruning time. I like to do it in mid-January. So in a few weeks, I'll be pruning all my roses, even though they're all still blooming. Um, they're wrapping up their blooming right now. But climbing roses like pinky, um, you want to wait to prune them until after they bloom. Um, because they're one of those plants that holds their flower buds on this year's growth. So if you prune them now, you'll be cutting off flowers. So wait until after they bloom in June, right after they bloom, go in there and prune them and you can prune them however you want. If you, uh, you just need to steer them uh, to train them to grow on whatever the thing is you want them to grow on. So if it's a trellis or a fence or whatever, that's when you do the training. Okay, look, at, I'm getting some texts. Oh, yay. Okay, great. Um, here's someone who tuned in and said, hello, first time listening. Love, love, love the podcast. Heart emoji. Thank you so much. This is me talking now. Um, and our podcast is called The Horticulturati. Me and my friend Leah are hosts. So check that out. Okay, so here's a question from the person who texted in. They say, I'm looking for some plant ideas along my front porch to hide the porch supports. So relatively bushy and thick. I'd prefer something that has good blooms and interest or interest. Two to three feet tall, ideally evergreen. The bed gets full southern sun from 10 to 4 each day. I'm just each of I-35, east of I-35, practically downtown. Any ideas? Yes. Okay, so um, I have a bunch of ideas. Uh, one of my favorites for that situation is called Mexican Honeysuckle which is not a very good name because um, it's not a honeysuckle, true honeysuckle. It's not a vine. And they're usually sold as perennials at the nurseries, but um, they are often evergreen. In mild winters, they don't die back. Um, they only die back when it's a really, there's a really hard freeze. It has silvery kind of foliage and orange flowers and it's a long bloom period and they attract hummingbirds. So that's one that would fit the bill in terms of height. And that way too, the nice thing about it is when they start to get like a little overgrown, it starts to feel like maybe they're getting a little bit bigger than two to three feet tall. Usually then we have a cold winter and they'll die back anyway. And then they, they grow back in the spring. So it makes it a little bit easy to maintain them um, because 
sometimes with plants like that that are mostly evergreen, it's kind of hard to know when to trim them and they bloom so much that it's hard to get up the guts to trim them as much as they need to be trimmed to contain them to a small space like that. Um, so having that occasional freezing back uh, could help. Um, another one that you might try would be our classic salvia gregi. Um, they are, you know, mostly evergreen. I think that would be enough sun since it's facing, facing south for them. But I really recommend with salvia gregi um, that you plant a ground cover underneath um, so that you don't get a lot of weeds because those plants are very leggy. They don't, they let a lot of light through, you know, they're not real dense. Of course, you asked for something relatively bushy and thick. So, but you could do this scheme. So, um, that's the Mexican honeysuckle or maybe salvia gregis. Um, the Mexican honeysuckle uh, also has a relative called velvet leaf honeysuckle that's similar. So thank you so much for listening and for texting your question. And I'm glad that you like the podcast too. That's really cool. It's great to hear from you. Okay, y'all, here's another text. Good morning. Great show. Thank you. Um, they ask, I wonder if it's too late to, pl to plant pecan trees this year. Um, no, that's, that's, it's still tree planting time, y'all. I like to plant trees from September 15th until April 1st at the latest, but sooner is better. And yeah, pecans fall in that category. Definitely a great time for planting pecan trees. It's also a great time, y'all, for planting fruit trees too. And this is the time of year when a lot of the nurseries will start carrying bare root fruit trees, which are optimal. Um, if you plant a fruit tree like peaches, plums, pears, and apples, um, it's a great time to do that. And planting them bare root is better for their health in the long term. So um, it's a great time for that. And I have a fruit tree calendar for sale on my website. It's a digital calendar that will keep you up to date about when to do certain fruit tree tasks, including planting. And um, it's uh, going to automatically populate the calendar on your phone. So if you use your phone or your computer calendar, um, you can purchase this downloadable file. It's universal and it automatically goes into your phone to remind you when to do fruit tree tasks and fruit tree pruning time is coming up. And this will give you the info that you need to feel like you can get to it. Okay, and so here's another question. This person says, I've never had any luck growing olive trees. Any tips on those? Thanks. Olive trees are difficult uh, because, for several reasons, um, they're not native here. You know, they're native... Mediterranean plants and they're so beautiful they're very fast growing uh, but they're not very cold tolerant 
kind of similar to citrus trees. Um, they're a little more cold hardy than a lot of the citrus, but they're sort of on the same page with the citrus. So that's the main thing is that cold weather can kill them. If they're established, they can grow back from the roots, but when they grow back, they're more bushy rather than tree shaped. And you also need two. You got to make sure you have two olive trees because they need to pollinate each other and they don't like heavy clay soil. So if you live in the hill country, that's okay because you're going to have more gravelly, shallow, thin soil. But if you live east of I-35, the clay soil is hard on the, the olives. So uh, it takes a little extra skill. You got to fix the soil for them and they're tough. So, all right, y'all, we're going to go to a break more after this. This is Horticulture Hangover with Colleen Dieter. Call or text your lawn and garden questions to 512-836-0590. Good morning, y'all. This is Colleen Dieter on the Horticulture Hangover show. Here to answer all your gardening questions. Um, call me at 512-836-0590. Or you can text that same number and I'll see the text from you. So I've got a text here from a listener. They say, I have two Lady Banks rose bushes that we planted to grow on a trellis. It's been in the ground uh, for almost a year, but they're not getting enough sun and aren't doing well. Can they be transplanted? How hard will that be? Thank you. I love listening to your program. Oh, thank you. I thrive on compliments. Thank you so much. That's what I need to make me grow. Um, thank you for the compliments. Uh, so you have two Lady Banks roses and, you know, they're really durable plants. Uh, and if they've only been in the ground for a year, um, it's going to be pretty easy to move them because basically they're going to pop out of the ground almost the exact same size as when you first planted them, uh, probably with the root ball from the nursery still intact. Um, so no worries there. Um, you definitely can move them. Um, the only concern is that they are marginally hardy here, believe it or not, if we get a real severe freeze this winter and you transplant them during the winter, it's possible that they may not survive um, because they are a little bit cold sensitive, but uh, it's really, really likely that they'll be totally fine if you moved them now. If you were really wanting to be cautious about it, you could wait and move them um, like the first week of March. But I wouldn't wait too long. It, that way, they'd be less likely to get hit by cold. But um, I, if it, if it were my yard, I would I'd move them now, or as soon as possible. Um, and yeah, just get a shovel. Uh, I like to use a border spade for uh, transplanting, where you it's a 
short-handled shovel that's flat on the bottom instead of spade-shaped, even though it's called a border spade. Uh, Because you can dig the plant up out of the ground without cutting through as many roots because of the shape of it. Uh, It's also good when you're working around a trellis to have a shorter handle um, because sometimes it's hard to get into tight areas like that if there's not a lot of room for a human body and a long-handled tool to get in there. Um, The border spade is real handy. Um, So that's the tool that I, I like to use when I'm transplanting, stuff like that. And then just dig a hole that's the same size as the root ball um, and carry it over there and stick it in the ground where you want it. Um, You can add a little compost uh, to the planting, the new planting area. That's a good idea. You could add a a little gentle, slow-release, dry, organic rose food would make them very happy. Um, especially if it has sulfur in it. Uh, that's really nice for roses. And then make sure you're watering them. Even in the winter, when you transplant something or plant something new, especially woody plants, you want to make sure that the soil stays wet like a wrung out sponge. Okay, so don't let it dry out. But you don't want it to be soggy either. It's definitely a a Goldilocks situation. You want it to be wet like a wrung out sponge. So just go out there every five days or so and put your finger on the soil and check it, see how it feels, and then give them some water. They'll probably need about five gallons of water each once a week. Um, So just keep checking them though, because sometimes if it's windy or sunny, the soil dries out faster, okay? So you'll be fine. Check it out, yeah, see what you can do. And then hopefully your two Ladybanks rose bushes will grow to be monstrous. They often do. They often get way out of hand. They're very aggressive plants. Once they get established, they really get going. So uh, enjoy, I think you'll be just fine. Try it out. Um, let's see, y'all. You can reach me at atxgardens.com. I'm the landscape consultant, and I can come help you with your yard. And you can check out atxgardens.com. Click on shop. I have a fruit tree care calendar for sale there to remind you when to prune, feed, uh, and otherwise care for your fruit trees. And uh, I have some classes coming up. You can come and say hi. Uh, the Wildflower Center, Lady Bird Johnson Wildflower Center, uh, January 27th from 10 to noon, I'm teaching a class about tree pruning. And that'll be a lot of fun. I've taught a bunch of times out there um, how to prune your trees and why you should prune trees and why sometimes you shouldn't prune trees. So come check that out. And the other one is my winter 
maintenance class where I talk about cutting back perennials, um, cutting back native ornamental grasses, talk a lot about weeding. For also from 10 to noon, that's on February 3rd. You can check out wildflower.org. Those you have to register for those classes. Uh, wildflower.org. Okay. But y'all can come out and say hi to me. Um, I love meeting listeners. It's a lot of fun. Uh, let's see. Last week, someone texted and I didn't have time to get to their text. I hope they're listening this week. Uh, texted with a question about take all root rot and St. Augustine grass. And we're going to have an episode of Horticulturati coming up about St. Augustine grass. Uh, and But we only mentioned take all root rot in there. So the take all root rot is really difficult. It's a really tough disease. And the name lives up to its name with St. Augustine grass. And the best way to kind of help your grass that might be suffering from take all root rot is to acidify the soil around the grass. So it's a cultural problem. Okay, so our soils in central Texas tend to be very alkaline and the take all root rot thrives in those conditions. And if you can acidify the soil, it's better for the grass and it makes the conditions less desirable for the disease. So peat moss, top dressing with peat moss is key. You can use fungicides, but it doesn't help the cultural problem. So we're going to go to a break. More after the news. Welcome to Horticulture Hangover on News Radio KLBJ. You're in the right place to get answers to all of your questions about your lawn, garden, trees, and more. Now, here's your host, Colleen Dieter. Hey, everybody. We're back. All right. Um, I got a couple more text messages here. I'm Colleen Dieter with ATXGardens.com. That's my business. Check it out, atxgardens.com. And I got a text message from one of my favorite listeners, Steve in Leander. What's up, Steve? Uh, Steve says, hi, Colleen. I'm expanding some of my flower beds. I'm wondering if there are any perennials I can plant now. I know that some perennials have rosettes that stay green in our winters, like purple coneflowers. Would those plants or others be okay to plant now? Not much to do in the garden right now, so I'm looking for something to do besides pruning my autumn sage. Thanks. Okay, Steve. Yeah, um, we are so lucky to be Texas gardeners because there are some perennials that you could plant now that stay green through the winter. Um, and they're mostly the woodland type plants that would naturally grow under other tree under trees that lose their leaves in the winter. 
But yeah, definitely the purple coneflowers you could plant now. They're extremely tolerant. Um, white yarrow is one of my favorites that stays green through the winter. Should be able to find them at the nurseries now too. Um, columbines are another one. Lyre leaf sage. Uh, mine are green right now. Oxalis is one of my favorite plants. Um, any of the little onions, so things like uh, garlic chives or society garlic might die back if it gets really, really cold, um, but usually they stay green. Uh, Heartleaf skullcap is one of my friend Leah's favorites. Um, they're hard to find at the nurseries because they go dormant for so long uh, from you know, June through uh, September, there's not much in the pot. So usually you can only find them at this time of year if you can find them at all in the nurseries because um, this is when they look good. So all of those perennials, I think, are real underrated. Oh, you know what I just found the other day was uh, cedar sage. That's a real nice one. Uh cedar sages you could do now too so there's a limited group of plants of perennials uh that you could plant now most of them stay green all winter and then bloom in very early spring um that's what they have in common and then they go dormant in the summer so they have kind of an opposite uh life cycle of most perennials um, where they grow through the winter, bloom in early spring, and then go dormant in the uh, summer. So, yeah, you could plant them now and see how they do. I was planting some blue bonnets at my house yesterday. I bought some blue bonnet starts, which is kind of cheating, but I didn't have time to put seeds in at blue bonnet seeding time in October this year. So, um, I bought some four-inch starts and was planting those in a little wildflower spot in my yard this week. Now, they're not perennials. They are annuals, which means they're only going to live for one season. And they go through their whole life cycle and then they die. Um, but they reseed themselves. So they come back year after year from seed, if you're lucky. Um, I put them in a new spot where I've never had blue bonnets before. So I'm looking forward to that. That was a nice, fun activity to do on the beautiful sunny day we had yesterday. Um, and I got another uh, question over text here. Let me see. Oh, yeah. This is one of my favorite questions. The question is, what is the easiest fruit tree to grow? Um, okay, I used to have very strong opinions about this and my opinions have softened in the last few years because of the severe winters we're having. Um, and because of more experience, I've gotten more experience with fruit trees. So um, I used to say figs uh, figs are so, so easy, but 
we've had three bad winters in a row and figs are native to the Mediterranean and the winters were really hard on them and they haven't died, but they're not thriving. Um, so hopefully we'll have a mild winter this year and everybody's figs will have a chance to recover. Um, but, you know, I just think of figs are just a landscape staple here in Central Texas. And I can't imagine Central Texas without figs. And my favorite type of fig is called brown turkey, also known as Texas Everbearing. Um, so figs are good as long as it's not too, too cold. Some of the native fruit trees, I think, are really underrated, including red mulberry. So the red mulberry trees are, you know, they grow in ditches on the side of the road, especially on the east side of I-35. Um, red mulberries, and they're one of the first things to make fruit in the spring. They're very early bloomers, and they, they make fruit really early, and the fruit's delicious right off the tree. They're extremely fast-growing trees. They get to be medium-sized. Um, they have separate male and female plants, so make sure, usually if you buy one, it's going to be a female because they won't sell you one that doesn't have uh, fruit on it. Most everybody buys them because they want the fruit. So, And there's usually enough wild um mulberry plants around enough males that you you don't need to that they'll pollinate so check out the red mulberries a native red mulberry make sure you're getting the native red mulberry um, because there are some invasive types uh, the white mulberry is invasive very invasive here um, so the mulberries are super easy to grow and pretty delicious um, you also might be interested in Texas persimmons. That's the native persimmon tree. They're very easy to grow. They grow all over central Texas. Um, they make fruit in August and September is when it's ripe and ready to harvest. Um, they're beautiful little trees. They're very extremely slow growing, small trees. And so... Um, they also have separate male and female plants, but the thing about them is that you can buy them at the nursery and they sell both male and females at the nursery. They're sold as more as landscape ornamental plants and less as fruit trees. So you won't know when you buy them if they're male or female. So you won't know if they're gonna make fruit or not. Um, but if you have space to plant a few, you can hedge your bets and hope that you're gonna get one that makes fruit. And they're delicious off the tree too. And they're really easy. They don't need any care pretty much. So, cause they're native. So in terms of easy, those are my top choices. Um, but uh, you know, they're not exactly the kind of fruit that you think of, you know, when you think of fruit trees like apples and peaches and stuff like that, but they're easier than apples and peaches. So check those guys out. And uh, let's see, it looks like Steve texted me again. Steven Leander sent me pictures of his blue bonnets. Very sweet. 
Yes, he has a little patch of blue bonnets right up by the sidewalk on the corner. That's such a good spot, um, a real nice visible spot for blue bonnets there. That's similar to where I've got them at my house too. And he's got a nice group of rosettes there. So y'all, so if you're interested in planting blue bonnets, um, a little bit about their life cycle, if you can plant seeds, in September or October, that's the best time. And then they come up from little, they form little rosettes, they're called rosettes. It's like a little circle of leaves that come up out of the ground. And then the rosettes just kind of stay there and really slowly get a little bit bigger all winter. And then the first week of March, they shoot up and they get taller and taller really fast. And then mid-March, they start blooming and it's beautiful all through April. And then after they bloom, they get pollinated while they're blooming. And then after they bloom, the blooms fade and turn into seeds, seed pods. And they are in the bean family so they get little seed pods that look like beans. And very slowly after the seeds grow and get bigger and bigger, the whole plant will die and the plant will dry out. And as the bean pods, the blue bonnet seed pods that look like beans dry out, they shrink and eventually pop open and throw the seeds far away from the mother plant uh, so they can colonize bigger areas. And then those seeds sit all summer and wait for tropical storms, hurricanes, sea breeze showers that we get in September and then they start growing again. Seeds come up and the cycle starts again. And that's our life cycle of our beloved little Texas blue bonnets. And aren't we lucky to have them? So we're gonna go to a break and we'll see you after the break. This is Horticulture Hangover with Colleen Dieter. Call or text your lawn and garden questions to 512-836-0590. Hey, everybody. This is Colleen Dieter with ATXGardens.com. And this is the Horticulture Hangover Show. Thanks so much for listening. So you can call or text me here in the last 10 minutes of the show at 512-836-0590. Something else that you can think about at this time of year for the garden is one of my favorite things is it's seed catalog time. All the seed catalogs start to arrive in the mail if you do it the old-fashioned way as I do. I still enjoy flipping through ca card catalogs, though I end up ordering online. Um, and uh, that's a very fun kind of romantic, nostalgic thing for me. I remember doing it as a kid with my mom. 
um, and flipping through the pages and seeing all the beautiful pictures on the drab, dreary winter days and seeing all these beautiful flowers and food. And um, I was looking at Will Height Seed Catalog, which is a good Texas seed company, um, yesterday while I was eating breakfast and I just get such a kick out of the names of the plants, you know, like here's big beef hybrid, <laughs> black crim, celebration and celebrity. Celebrity's my favorite tomato, easy to grow. I don't grow tomatoes much anymore. Even though I don't grow tomatoes much anymore, I still like looking at the catalogs and how beautiful they look and all the names, Cherokee Purple, Chelsea, Florida 91, Marglobe, Golden Jubilee. So take a look. Oh yeah, Mortgage Lifter is one of my favorite names. <laughs> I've never grown that one, but I think that's such a funny name. Of course, patio tomato is another really good one. I have grown that one. The patio tomato is awesome. It's a little dwarf bush type. If you have a small garden or you just want to grow a tomato in a pot, check out patio. It's a great one. The fruit's delicious. Um, Ponderosa pink. I just get such a kick out of all these names and the variety of food, it's so exciting to me. Um, and it's getting to be time to start tomatoes. If you uh, grow tomatoes in your garden and you want to start them from seed, uh, you have to do it indoors coming up here in January. So get yourself some seed and some little seed starting trays Got to keep them warm and in a bright place. So you've got a bright south-facing window would work well to start some tomatoes, peppers, and eggplants. You can start them indoors in January. So that's why the seed catalogs come out when they do. Um, you Or you can wait, you know, and just buy plants or get plants from your friends who have greenhouses in in March then and start putting them in the ground but uh, let's see we've got some texts here uh, someone at said they're having trouble finding my website it's A-T-X as in Austin, Texas A-T-X gardens with an S at the end dot com and I was just on it so I know it's working atxgardens.com okay so check it out that's my business and then um, you can check out my services there I'm a landscape consultant so I can come and give you advice about your yard or you can buy things in my shop there okay you got a question someone texted in and said I have a large wildflower area that has been in place for over four years. I have a succession of blue bonnets, then blanket flowers, and presently working on getting some prairie goldenrod 
and Gay Feather to Gay Feather started in the area for fall color. <clears throat> Sounds lovely. Okay, the question. Last year, I had a bumper crop of blue bonnets and blanket flowers. The problem is that the blanket flower seedlings are sprouting early and seem to be smothering out my blue bonnet rosettes. Do I thin out the blanket flower seedlings or hope that winter weather will thin out the blanket flowers naturally? I'd hate to lose my blue bonnet patch. Oof. Great question. Okay. Yeah, um, definitely thin them. The blanket flowers can get pretty aggressive. So go ahead and start thinning out the blanket flowers because the cold weather is not going to kill them because they're so durable. So um, yeah, go ahead and start thinning them. And you can just use scissors to cut them or, you know, a hoe uh, around the blue bonnets. It's going to be hard to do it without disturbing the blue bonnets, but do the best you can. And um, yeah, try to keep those blanket flowers corralled if you don't want to lose your blue bonnets. And now we've got a phone call from Chris. Good morning. Good morning, Chris. You're on the air. Yes, ma'am. I had a question regarding garden soil. Uh, I lived in West Austin where we were all rock at our last house, and we had brought in bulk garden soil from natural gardener when they used to sell bulk material yeah and then they quit and then mm -hmm. we got another 10 yards from gardenville mm -hmm. and the gardenville soil did not do quite as well mm. as the the hill country gardener soil mm. but both of them we were able to grow great gardens with mm. and i've now moved near georgetown near andice and we have some clay soil mm. and we did a little test garden and we were able to grow stuff, but the fruit, the vegetables were not as good as we had mm. uh, with our last soil. I was wondering what you would recommend to supplement our, our clay mm. to get a good soil, or should I just bring in a bunch of bulk material, and where would you recommend? Oof. Well, what I would recommend trying first, since it, did you say, was it just your first year? with this new garden in, near Andice? Uh, yes, we yeah. just did a little test of a few cucumbers, a few green beans, okay. and uh, added a little uh, compost to it, and okay. that's all. Okay, so when you start a new garden in the ground like that, using the native soil, it usually does take a few years before the vegetables really look good. Um, so just keep adding compost to it. Okay. Yeah, I, that's what I would do. I would give it at least one more year and keep adding compost and maybe a little decomposed granite too. Okay. Uh, yeah, to loosen it up a little bit and add that mineral content that helps with giving them all the little, giving the plants all the kind of micronutrients that they need. But compost is the main thing. And if you can send a sample off to the lab, uh, the Texas A&M Soil Lab to see what nutrients you might need to add. That'll give you more information about what you need in terms of fertilizer and stuff like that. Okay. All I right. All right, Chris. Thank you so much. Happy gardening. All right. Bye-bye. All right. Bye-bye. 
So that's it for me, y'all. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'm Colleen with ATXGardens.com. See you next week.